The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Good morning. How are y'all doing? You look more awake than the first service. A little bit, like an hour and a half more awake. So uh, my name is Jared, uh, Jared Orr. I'm uh, born and raised in Kansas City, and uh, I have the blessing and privilege to share with you all today. Uh, I'm very excited to be here. Ever since uh, I met Jacob Dieter, uh, who knows Jacob and Sarah? And Yeah, they are good friends. Uh, I worked with Jacob actually at Burns and McDonald. I was there for about six years. Any Burns and Mackers in the building? No? No one? Okay. <laughs> I thought we'd have one at least. But uh, Burns and Mack is a, is a company engineering uh, consultant in Leewood. So I worked for them for about six years, met Jacob, and then we had a Bible study, and we've become really good friends. So um, I brought my wife, Sandy, if you would stand up and say hi to everyone. <laughs> this is Sandy. Give her a warm welcome from Kansas City because she's actually Egyptian and this is her first time visiting uh, the States. So we, uh, yeah, she's, uh, we got married in Egypt about seven months ago. So we're still in that honeymoon phase, right? And uh, we're on the, the tour of barbecue right now. So, and Chipotle. <laughs> These are the things I miss because <laughs> we live in Egypt, uh, in Cairo, the capital city. Uh, and we're just super excited because... When I was working full-time here, I always loved hearing stories of God moving in people's lives and just experiencing, you know, what it's like overseas. Um, I want to bring that uh, back here and kind of cheer you guys on, but also I'm encouraged because as we sit with people and talk over the last month, um, I've been seeing that God is doing the same stuff in Kansas City, in Johnson County, in the Midwest as he's doing even in Egypt, right? Because God is God, everywhere. (laughs) He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Are you an amen church? (laughs) Okay, okay. Uh, So let's pray before we get started. I want to just center ourselves and ask the Lord Jesus. We, God, we slow down and we recognize that you are here. You are faithful. You are good. The first time you introduced yourself to Moses, you said, the Lord, the Lord, God, merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is how you want to be known. And I love this last song. It was perfect. You make the darkness tremble. You make the darkness tremble, Lord. When we say your name, when we call upon your name as a father who would do anything to come to the aid of those who are his children, Lord, we call upon your name this morning. We ask you to give us strength as we are humans, we are weak in understanding. Would you, would you speak to us in a way that I cannot do? Would you take the words that I say and ignite them in Jesus' name? Amen? Amen. Okay. I'm not a preacher by trade, but we're going to try this, okay? So um, as I was uh, preparing for this morning, I was praying for you all because I like to have something unique to give each church because every church is a unique family, right? And... Um, I really felt like Isaiah 55, and we don't have even a slide for this. That's how fresh off the presses it is for you guys. So it's at the end of Isaiah 55. He's talking about um, how the word of God does not return void. So every word, I mean, who can say that about their administration? If you're a boss, every word that you say does not return void. Is that true? (laughs) I wish. But when God speaks a word, when he invests into someone, it, does not re- it accomplishes that for which he sent it. And then it says, 
What is, what is this word doing? It, it's allowing us to go out in joy, verse 12, and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills before you shall break forth into singing. That's a happy picture, isn't it? As you go forward in your life, the mountains and the hills are singing. The trees are clapping their hands. And out of thorns will come, what? Cypress. Out of uh, the briar will come forth, what? The myrtle, living, new things, beautiful things coming from thorny situations and thorny backgrounds, thorny trauma, all the things that we have in our life. And I think this is for you guys because I want to go forth in singing, but I especially want you guys to go forth this morning in singing and knowing that God is, it actually also says that he, he, uh, he dances over us. He surrounds us with shouts of deliverance. Is that how we see it? Are we, are we, are we in tune with the, the heavenly realities? Like, I see it like an elevator. We can operate on this very basic level of like, I'm tired, life is tough, this is happening, I'm hungry, blah, blah, blah. All this stuff is normal, right? But it's taking the elevator, the spiritual elevator up to that next level where we're actually seeing what he's seeing from his perspective. And we're able to see that he is actually really happy to be our father. He's actually really pleased to call us sons and daughters. And he's leading us into these hills that are singing. So I just want to encourage you with that this morning because our topic today is all about light piercing through the darkness. And uh, sometimes we take this defensive posture as Christians, like got to hold on to what you have, right? It's this poverty mentality. Like I got to keep what I have or else I might lose it. The spiritual flame, oh, it'll probably go out again, right? Or, uh, but what if we saw it differently? Instead of the usual saying of don't give the enemy a foothold, don't give the devil a foothold. What if we thought, what if the Holy Spirit got a foothold in someone's life, right? Do we think that way? I mean, usually we're thinking, oh no, the enemy's going to come in and ruin all the good stuff that's happening. But what if God's builders worked faster than Satan's destroyers? <laughs> Amen. What if he has a, what if he has the ability to actually go viral in people's lives and take over and rush in, right? I'm going to share some of that this morning, but first I want to introduce you to our life in Egypt because it'll help give more context to what we're talking about. So um, this is my life. I love showing this slide. It's so funny. And it's actually funnier if you were watching it live because in video motion, uh, the camels are bouncing in the truck, but the heads are staying still. It's really funny. So it's kind of like this. <laughs> so you see that kind of thing when you're driving on the roads in Cairo. All right, next slide. Uh, the Middle East. A lot of people get all different pictures when they think of the Middle East, right? But after living there, I see it as a place rich with history, rich with beautiful culture, with challenges, yes, but also with a warmth and a laughter that I've not experienced anywhere else. So Egypt is on the southwest side of the Middle East. Uh, you've got a lot of nations surrounding Egypt that are really struggling. And so Egypt actually has a special calling uh, to be a refuge nation and ascending nation. And we'll see that as we go. So next uh, slide. Look at that, isn't that cool? So imagine 130 million people, but they all live on the green part. <laughs> so everything goes vertical. You don't really have a lot of, although Egypt is moving their capital. Did you know that? Yeah, fun fact. So you know before anyone else at the party trivia. So Egypt is moving their capital to like halfway between Cairo and the Red Sea. So that's interesting. Just to make it look cooler, I think. All right, so next, uh, and this is Luxor, which is, 
incredible. Like you need to go to Luxor and, and all these places in Upper Egypt also. Upper is, is south because the Nile runs from south to north. So that's kind of confusing. But yeah, Upper Egypt is where Luxor is and you can see some of the beautiful, thousands of years old. I mean, you look at this stuff and you're like, that survived like <laughs> that many years? That is crazy. And this uh, had a door on it. This was the entrance of the temple. So it's, you know, 50 feet high with these giant swivels. You can see where the door would swing on that and get locked. So yeah, let's go to the next one. This is super cool. So uh, Sudan is south of Egypt, uh, just one country south, but it, once upon a time, it was all Egypt, right? Along the Nile there. Um, they discovered in the, I can't remember, the, the mid-1950s, um, this temple in Sudan. And uh, so on this temple site, you've got a circle of columns and on each column, you've got uh, the appearance of a tribe or some kind of people group. And on the north side, the ones facing the north look like tribes from that north that the Pharaoh has conquered, okay? Because all ancient history is basically bragging rights. They're just like, who did we conquer? How did we conquer them? <laughs> How was I anointed by the gods? Stuff like that. So, and the ones on the south are facing the south. So you can imagine they looked more African, more Central African. One of the one of the pillars has someone who looks a little bit Hebrew, right? And it says, land of the nomads of Yahweh. And this was dated at 1400 years BC, this temple site. So how cool is that? So this is uh, extra biblical proof that the, the, the nomads, which is what they would have been called at that time. What are, you, what are you called when you roam from place to place? That's what was happening. The people of Israel were wandering around the desert, but they were, of course, being, you know, the Pharaoh was claiming that he conquered them or whatever. We know that didn't happen, but I um, thought that was interesting. So stuff like that, you get to discover and you're like, man, I'm, I'm spoiled to live in this place. All right, next slide. Um, so this is a snapshot of about 400 AD. So I'm giving you guys like a brief crash course. I, I did this at another church and a girl came up after and said, you're like a weird combination between my history teacher and my art teacher. <laughs> like, you have the personality of my art teacher, but you talk about history. Like, okay, I'll, I'll take it. So this is a, a snapshot of like around 400 AD when the church is just going all over the place. So um, again, from the briar, from the thorns of persecution in the early church, what happened? They scattered the diaspora. They went all over the Mediterranean region. And look at that. All of these areas became Christian because of the persecution and God using it for his glory. And so Egypt, as you can see, it was actually a center of Christian thought. Alexandria, which is on the Mediterranean, became a, like many, many uh, famous Christian philosophers and councils were held there. Um, and actually all along the Nile was a lot of Christians living there. And you can see the next slide. We have... Uh, this is the conquest of Islam. When they came through, where did they have to get through to get to Africa? Through Egypt, right? And this was one of the gateways into Africa, but it wasn't easy for them. So uh, when, when they started coming in and coercing and taking over, uh, it didn't get very far in Egypt until they hit a brick wall, which was Upper Egypt. And uh, there were some really... I love Upper Egyptians. My wife is Upper Egyptian, which makes her fiery and <laughs> super, like, you know... Like when we, when you're bargaining at the at the at the supermarket or whatever, or in Egypt when you know you buy stuff, you you barter. She's the one to have with you. She's the one who goes for the jugular, you know. So, so people, people in, in Upper Egypt, they have strong faith, right? And a lot of the missionaries coming out of Egypt right now are actually from this same area. Uh, the Desert Fathers. The next slide. Uh, like uh, Anthony the Great. And the next slide. These are the places they would live. The communities they would live in. Um, 
These are monks that went out into the desert because they weren't happy with the compromise and the secularization of their society. But they didn't want to just like separate to get away, which is what a lot of us try to do. We just try to like get away. <laughs> they wanted to connect with God and pray and recenter so that they could be a blessing for the rest of Egypt, right? Which is what some of you might be called to do. This kind of separation, kind of like John the Baptist, right? He was like the first monk, if you think about it. <laughs> Have you ever thought of that? I didn't until like three days ago. John the Baptist went out to the desert. People came to him and he shared his wisdom and his spiritual revelations. And if you read, John, uh, if you read Matthew, uh, I believe Matthew 11, John, is, John the Baptist is sharing things like about the Trinity that, you know, it wasn't like talked about a lot in that time, right? So these guys were very important in the formation of the church in general, not just Egypt. So next uh, slide. So Elmenia, which is where my wife is from, is a very influential area. Um, we've got, next slide. Um, this is a cool picture because it shows the modernness and the ancientness all at once, right? Isn't that weird? That's not what you think of when you think of Egypt. You think of just the top part of the photo. <laughs> but you've got Cinnabon within view of the pyramids, right? Like, it's, it's this weird combination, but also really cool. And, and if you think about it, each one of these apartment buildings you see here is a, is a family, and uh, each one of them is hungry and thirsty for something real and for unconditional love, which the, the, the primary religion is not offering them right now. Um, and so we can see the big picture of the nation's role, but we can also see that each of these people is someone that we can reach. All right, next slide. And speaking of unreached, this is the number of unreached people groups that are represented in Egypt. Many of them come as refugees from other nations. Many are native to Egypt. So like in West Egypt, you see that little red dot over there? That is called Siwa. It's an oasis. You can see that on the next slide. It's uh, beautiful. Oh my gosh, you guys, I'm plugging Egypt. Not, I'm not being paid to plug Egypt, but you need to go to Egypt. It's beautiful. The Siwa oasis is like this big lake, um, actually a couple big lakes, uh, surrounded by palm trees. It's like this giant oasis in the middle of the desert. And, but it's completely unreached, right? So like zero, we're talking almost zero Christians out of a population of probably 40,000 now. Um, which is crazy because like if there are millions of believers in Egypt, in Cairo especially, in Upper Egypt, um, what, what are we doing? Like how are we motivating people to go to these places? And that's one of our callings is to help people see like there is a harvest that is ready. Let's go. Um, and one thing I like about this church, you know, as I talk with, with Jacob and Sarah is discipleship is like the core of what, you know, it's at, in the DNA of you guys, which is important because I love sharing with people who can resonate with what we're sharing. And so um, we'll talk a lot about discipleship and the way God does that, but uh, it's pretty simple, actually. Discipleship is like living with people and <laughs> sharing your life with people. So let's go to the next slide. Um, as I said, a lot of refugees come to Egypt from different places. Sudan and South Sudan are some of the biggest numbers of refugees in Egypt. Um, so this is South Sudan where they encountered terrible flooding. Uh, if you go to the next slide, um, this is some of the cool tribal appearance and rich tradition of each of these different uh, tribes. And then the next slide. But uh, the cool thing is that a lot of them come to Egypt. Again, they're leaving their hometown. So you know what homesickness feels like. Combine on top of that really difficult living conditions and no like social security, no, no government welfare programs. And you've got this really unique opportunity to come in and, and help people and to offer hope in their life. And so a lot of our time is spent building relationships with Sudanese and sharing Jesus with them and sharing them practical help. Um, and then guess what? 
if they end up going back to their countries, to these unreached groups, like, that's amazing. And actually, you, you guys have this benefit in Kansas City because a lot of refugees come to Kansas City in these different neighborhoods, uh, downtown and, and places. And, and if you can reach these people for Jesus, they're coming to you. That's so convenient, right? <laughs> that's super convenient. And then they go back to their nations and take the gospel with them. So this happened. This was like a revival meeting. The other benefit is a lot of times in Egypt, uh, the government's not happy with you evangelizing, right? So I'm not going to be mentioning specific names of people on this, on this uh, sermon because the government's really particular. Um, we're not supposed to be like bringing people over into, into Jesus' land. Uh, but this is a, a revival meeting they had because it was for the Sudanese. And so the government wasn't like caring too much about that. Um, so they were able to have amazing things happen here. People gave their lives to the Lord. Uh, a few people were healed, got out of wheelchairs. There was uh, a big uh, barrel set up, lit on fire, and people were taking their old witchcraft stuff and throwing it in, you know, stuff that they brought from their tribal religions and ancestor worship, and they were burning those things. So like, this is happening in Egypt also. How crazy is that? So uh, next slide. This is Sandy and me. I love this picture. <laughs> this is one for the Christmas card. Yeah, so these are a couple kids from uh, South Sudan. We went on a short trip there um, to connect with an orphanage. Uh, next one. And then these are guys that I have just lived my life with for the last three years, and I'm going to tell you some of their stories now. Um, but my, and I'm going to mingle in this idea of, of, of light piercing the darkness. And uh, I already introduced the topic, but I want to give you a couple examples. So when I was, when I was uh, getting to know our friend Abdu, I'm going to call him Abdu, he, cleans our, uh, he was cleaning our apartment, and this is normal to hire maids to come in and uh, guys or girls. Uh, so Abdu, for about two years, we were getting to know him. Uh, me and the other four guys we were living with. Can you imagine five guys, five bachelors under one? <laughs> Some of you have seen that. It's, it's terrifying. Uh, but so he would come into a mess. But um, we just like lived the gospel in front of him. And we would have dinners with him. We would invite him to eat with us, which is kind of weird. But we did it anyway, because you want to be a little bit weird with people, right? And as we got to know him, he saw something different in us, but he was still kind of shy. And one day I was praying, and I really felt like I, I, wanted, to in, I wanted to contend for him, fight for his salvation. And I was like, God, give me a word for Abdu. And he, he gave me a picture of uh, the verse where Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, right? And usually when we, what do you think of when you hear that? Jesus is like, please let me in. I want to come in and eat, right? When I, when I prayed this time, this specific time, I got this picture of Jesus with a battering ram. Like, wow, boom, come let me in. Like, <laughs> like Jesus was aggressively pursuing him. Not that he actually forces his way into our lives, but I, I, I like to start, I started to think of it as if, man, Abdu's going to have to really try hard to resist the love of Jesus, <laughs> You know, because Jesus is pursuing him. Jesus wants relationship with him and he's, he's going after him. And, and in your communities, like in your high schools, for example, can we actually believe that Jesus can virally spread and that the love of Jesus, if you just give him an inch, if someone catches a glimpse of the glory of Jesus, wow, that would change everything, right? Because Jesus is actually a lot more attractive than what people think. When people actually get to know him, and this is like, who likes The Chosen, the TV show? I love it so much. Because, and I remember one, one time when watching the first season, I actually stopped it. And I just started praying like, Jesus, forgive me. Like, I, I do not realize how good you are. Because this feels like, 
too good to be true. This feels too good to be true that you would be this gentle and this kind and this after our hearts. But then he's like, well, it's so good that it has to be true. (laughs) It's so good that it has to be true. It's not too good to be true because we were built with these longings, with these hungers for these things that God is ready to come in and satisfy. And that's one of the greatest things, I think, is that when we show people, someone was asking, how do you evangelize people? Well, a lot of times you just show them the beauty of Jesus and the kindness of Jesus. And then you drop in some weird truth nuggets here and there and they just like, come, they just want him, right? So it's not too complicated. Um, And one thing I like to, to remind people is that your life is like a sheet of paper and all of your acquaintances and relationships are like dots on that, on that paper, okay? I want to ask, like, if the people in the center are the people who look just like you and think just like you and hang around you all the time and you've invested into them, and then the people on the edges are kind of like you barely know them at all and it's not really changing, where, where are people on your map? I just want to challenge you with that. I want to basically remove all of the excuses we make in our American minds because, you know, I understand how this feels. Like, yeah, we're surrounded with people who think like us or, oh yeah, we, we do a lot of life with people around us, but they're really far on the margins. The hard thing sometimes is the people who are in the kind of the middle. <laughs> That's the hard ones because it's easy to kind of just like work next to the same people and never talk to them. And it's also easy to really be close to your family. But what about those people who... I'm investing in their life a little bit and I'm waiting to see what happens. You kind of test it out, you know, it says in the word, determine his will by testing. So I'm going to like, I'm going to mention something and see if it goes anywhere or I'm going to offer them, hey, you want to come to church or hey, uh, do you want to read this? A little girl was at, uh, was at our house the other day because I was cleaning the, the garage, one of those fun things you do when you're visiting home, right? And I was cleaning the garage and She's a neighborhood girl. She likes, what's this? And she pulls out a giant study Bible. I'm like, oh, girl. <laughs> I don't know if you want to read all that. It's a lot. But it, was, it actually was a, it was a Spanish-English one. I don't know why. But uh, I'm like, hey, how about, because she's not a believer. She actually asked, what is this? I said, it's a Bible. She said, what's a Bible? <laughs> like, oh, oh, okay. Um, <clears throat> back up. So Christians, we believe that you know, God gave us the Bible as a way to understand him. And it tells this amazing story about Jesus and how he, you know, et cetera. Um, so I actually, I gave her this other Bible that I had because I have this Bible addiction where I buy so many Bibles. I, I gave her one that said the story. Have you guys ever heard of this one where it goes through the Bible story? It picks the most relevant stories, puts them in chronological order so it reads like a novel. This is really cool. Someone should, someone, this is for someone in the room. That book is super helpful for new believers because then they can just read through it and, and learn the story, okay? I gave this to her and we'll see what happens. She's been popping in and out of our life because she likes to play with my nephews. But in this was a moment where I saw a window open. I'm like, okay, execute, you know, <laughs> go for it. Like, so I'm gonna, I don't wanna miss those opportunities. I don't wanna be like, ah, get out of here. Like we're busy cleaning, which sometimes my aunt, my aunt wanted her to get out of there. <laughs> but I wanted to give her an opportunity. Here, take the most precious information in the world and, and you know, go read it. So that's just one example. But there's, God gets people in many different ways. Another example of, uh, of God breaking through in someone's life, uh, my language teacher, I'll call him David, uh, he was teaching me Arabic, he still does, you know, I'm not taking as many classes as I was, but 
Um, I'm, I'm sort of fluent. I like to say now I'm bad in two languages. Because <laughs> the more Arabic I learn, the worse my English becomes. But, um, so, now, so David was teaching me language, and um, he was going through a depressive phase. It's a long story with David. He basically, uh, he was Muslim. He actually was still teaching Quran when I met him. Um, but he was, wasn't believing in any religion. He was like atheist. Because for a while, he thought, he had this light bulb moment where he realized, unconditional love is like the whole point of everything. <laughs> Which, that's kind of a weird thing to come from that part of the world, right? And then, wait. So, if I just keep loving people, no matter what they do to me, maybe that'll go well and we'll see how that goes. So he started doing this and he started loving people and like serving and not requiring anything back. It sounds like the gospel. But he didn't know Jesus, right? So he was giving, giving, giving. And then his family betrayed him. His mom had an affair. All these bad things started happening. And he just like got depressed. And when I met him, and, and we started getting deeper and closer as friends, because it was just a friendship, you know? I'm just talking about Jesus occasionally because yeah, that's what you do. But um, eventually we got on this topic. And when he visited our house in Cairo, because he actually lived in another city, when he visited Cairo, I told him, Jesus is the center of the Christian religion and actually this unconditional love that you were looking for, like that's him. He's, he's all, like, he gave the most precious thing that he has to give. What's the most precious thing in the world? Blood. What's the most precious person in the world? God. So what's the most precious thing in all of the universe is the blood of God himself. And he gave that for you in this, in this completely vulnerable position where, you know, he was out there in front of the world and he did that to have relationship with you. Imagine what this did for David. I mean, imagine. He was looking for this. And then finally, boom, it like something clicks. And from that day forward, he was hungry, hungry. He started like asking for, he, we bought a Bible that trip. He took it home with him. He started reading it, just tearing through this thing. He was coming out with revelations, not from the book of Revelation, but revelations from the Bible that I had like, honestly, it took me years to learn those things. But he was just, the Holy Spirit was illuminating him. And uh, eventually, uh, on one of his trips back to Cairo, after a couple months of this, like, seeking, he was like, I want to get baptized. I, I, I just want to get baptized. Uh, no one taught him about it, but he read about it, and he's like, I want to do that. So I'm like, okay, well, we got a bathtub. So, <laughs> like, it's after dark, and there's no church. I mean, there's not that many churches, so let's bathtub time. Let's go. So then we had to like wait for an hour while it filled up. And, but it was like, and he said from that moment forward, he said his life completely changed. He said every moment of his life was filled with a new brightness, a new glory. He's like, he's hungry for Jesus more now than he was then. He's telling literally everyone about Jesus, whether it's a taxi driver or his family who don't know God. And it's actually very risky for him to do that. But he's like, I felt like God wanted me to share with my brothers. And I know I might get in trouble for this? Because you're born into your religion in Egypt, right? Your, 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 your ID has your religion on it because you, when you're born, they give it to you. <laughs> so imagine the, the shame that will come to the family, you know? So it's, it's crazy to, to watch his example and it inspires me even more. But from me investing in his life, now he's been investing in others. We baptized another guy that he talked to and now David is investing in Abdu. And, and helping him because David has that background, right? So he knows the Quran. He knows how to explain things and, and give him a little more uh, context. And so 
I don't have to go in and save the whole Middle East. Sandy and I don't have to be superheroes. We just have to be faithful with the one in front of us. Amen? We have to be faithful with the one person that God told us we need to be faithful with. I'm gonna stop for a really quick prayer before we continue. We only got a couple more minutes, but God, I ask for you to reveal to us right now who the one is that you want us to be faithful with. I don't wanna be up in here, up here in theory land. I wanna come down and see, okay, what do you want? What do you want, Jesus? What would make your heart happy? Who are you pursuing in our life? And I ask that you would help us to somehow start to make that person a greater part of our story. In Jesus' name, amen? Be listening to the Lord because he wants to reveal those things. All right, got about five more minutes. Let me say, what is the will of God? This is the most important thing, right? Because we want to know what his will is for our life. Number one, his will is the will of the Father to bring Jesus great honor in the sight of all people. If you ask the Father right now, what's, what's your greatest will right now? He's going to be like, my son, to be seen how he is, to be given honor and glory. And so if something will bring honor and glory to Jesus, I say, why not hope for that thing? Why not expect that thing? So like, why not the whole high school come to Jesus? Why not my coworkers catch a glimpse of his glory? Why not? Would it make Jesus look beautiful? Do, do lives changing make him look amazing? Yes. You know, usually, as, as you know, things don't usually get better. Usually people's flaws and situations get worse. So how amazing is it when God comes in and that seed of unconditional love and that sacrifice does something, blows up someone's life in the best way. That's, just, that's what he wants to do in your life. People that you think are the hardest, actually. Because the, the darker the environment, the brighter the light, right? We, we said that earlier. The darker it is, the brighter the light is. It's not like if I make it darker, it's going to be less bright. It actually makes it more bright. If, you, if you've heard of Jackie Pollinger, she was a missionary to Hong Kong and she went to a part of Hong Kong that was like outside the city limits, total anarchy, ruled by drug lords and prostitution and all kinds of stuff, terrible stuff. And it was called darkness. The city was called darkness because the buildings were so close and tall that no light got in there, okay? So this is the environment she was in. And she served for like two years trying to make an impact in her own flesh, right? We've done this, trying to just make a difference, make a difference. And then God gave her the key one day. Um, she discovered that if God's calling her to the, the heroin addicts and she would pray with the heroin addicts and somehow they would go off of heroin with no withdrawal symptoms, and she's written a book about this. It's called Chasing the Dragon. Write that down, Chasing the Dragon. It will inspire you. But she, she, and this happened, it wasn't just like a couple people. We're talking about a whole community of people who came to know Jesus and prayed and, and were able to get off of drugs forever with no withdrawal symptoms, which is a miracle. <laughs> it doesn't happen, okay? And so, like, God can and will do this in people's lives. And I think each, again, each person has a different story. Jackie's anointing was in praying and people getting off of drugs. God has given you a special thing for your life, a special key that will unlock your community, whatever that is. And I want you to like ask him what that is. Maybe you already know, maybe not. But there's actually, Father McCary was a famous Coptic, which is the, the Christian, the, the biggest denomination in Egypt. Father McCary is a Coptic priest. And he actually, before he passed away, there were hordes of, uh, uh, herds of Muslims coming to his church to a Coptic church because he was able to cast out their demons. 
So <laughs> Muslims were coming, and in the service, they were like being, ah, you know, casting out the demons and being free. And then like this, isn't that crazy? The reputation that God gets when, when he starts setting people free. And so that was his gift. What's yours? So it's the will of God to break through in people's lives. It's the will of every tribe and ethnic group to come into his family. Amen? Every tribe and ethnic group. Um, I think heaven's going to, like we love the Sudanese because we've been in a Sudanese church in Egypt for a long, for years. And they dance, man. <laughs> like the, when they worship, they dance. That's just what they do. It's like for, for us Americans, we have to be told it's okay to dance. Like you guys can dance if you want. Them, you have to tell them not to dance. <laughs> like, guys, it's okay, it's okay, chill. But uh, they, they are one of the groups in heaven that's going to be worshiping in their own way with dance, right? And we're gonna have our worship time and there's every tribe and nation will have their opportunity. And so our wedding looked like that, actually. When we got married, we wanted this to be the most like heaven possible, right? So we had Arabic, we had English worship, we had, um, we had a Sudanese lead worship at the end, uh, when we were dancing down the aisle. So it was like a picture of heaven. And that's what we love, is just manifesting the kingdom wherever we are. That's like our life goal. So how do we see this fulfillment? This is a, kind of in closing. How do we see this fulfillment in our lives of God's will, which we just talked about? Well, we need to press in. There's this tension of, yes, our, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And yes, we receive from him. But there's also this tension of we ought to press in sometimes. We've got to persevere sometimes. I mean, who's a story who, of someone in the Bible who persevered? Like the, the lady with the bleeding problem, for example. She had to go get in there. She had to touch Jesus. Or uh, the men who, who, or the people who brought the guy, the paralytic, to be lowered down. They had to bring him through. They had to get to Jesus. But also we have this uh, amazing verse. I love this. It's uh, Matthew Oh, where'd you go? There you go. Matthew eleven twelve. 12. It says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and forceful people lay hold of it. It actually says violent people lay hold of it in some, in some translations. It's Matthew eleven twelve. 12. So to, to have more of Jesus, you have to be violent, apparently. <laughs> what does that mean? You know, I say it's probably like driving in Egypt. If you've ever been to Egypt, hopefully you go. There's, uh, if you drive in Egypt, you have to be aggressive, okay? If there's an empty spot, I'm taking that spot. Like, that's mine, <laughs> right? If you don't drive aggressively, people will get mad at you because you're not doing what everyone else is doing, right? So, so violently pursuing the kingdom of God. I like Ellicott's commentary. He says, the kingdom of heaven encounters violence. These words describe the eager rush of the crowds of Galilee and Judea, first to the preaching of the Baptist and then to that of Jesus, as it were, a city attacked on all sides by those who were eager to take possession of it. He says, the meaning is determined by the preceding clause. The violent are men of eager, impetuous zeal who grasp the kingdom of heaven, its peace, its pardon, and its blessedness with as much eagerness as men would snatch and carry off as their own the spoil of a conquered city. Isn't that good? So, I'm reminded of, uh, of this verse in Joshua where he says, how long are you just going to stand there, guys? When the, when the land has been promised to you in heaven, remember the elevator to heaven, on, from their perspective, this land is yours. It has your name on it. You might see some obstacles in front of you, but this belongs to you. God has given it to you. So why are you going to stand there? Why aren't you going to go and take possession of it? 
right? It's this idea of persevering, pressing in, wrestling, taking your blessing that has been given to you. It's not like you have to earn your way. Okay, that's another whole thing. You don't have to earn your way into your blessing. You, you, per, you press in to take it, what has already been given to you. That's a huge, that's a huge difference. So we talked about people flocking to Jesus and John the Baptist to take their blessing. I hope that we are people who will, who will press in, press into the Holy of Holies and grab the blessing that he has for you. Which, which Paul says, what was his crown? What was Paul's crown and achievement? It was the faith of the people around him. He said, this is the thing that I will be so proud to take and give to the feet of my king. It's the people that I have invested in and the people that I continue to write to, even though they are so stubborn, even though they still don't get it, I'm pursuing them and I'm, per- I'm persisting in my relationship with them. And this is what it takes. Love is not convenient. You can't have a discipleship that is clean, right? If anyone has done discipleship in this room, and I believe this is a church of disciple makers, it's dirty and it's messy and it's people hurt your feelings and then they, they, they don't listen to what you tell them to do <laughs> and they don't follow the principles that you lay out in front of them. But it's okay because they're children and they're learning, right? So it's about, and it's about discipling people even before they're believers. It's, this, it's showing them the way. That was the name of early Christianity. It was called the way. They didn't call them Christians. They didn't call it Christianity. They called it the way. And so as as trailblazers, we are showing people the way. And we can do that only when we're having intimacy with God. It comes from intimacy. If you just try to make an impact on a bunch of people, it's going to become idolatry. You're going to start living for the approval of of God because I saved this many people, whatever. What we really want is to just overflow. How much easier is it just to like let our time with him overflow into the lives of others? It's so simple that it's like uh, David, I almost said his true name, David, uh, my friend who came to Jesus, I didn't have to teach him about sharing. I didn't have to teach him how to step outside and, and, and bring people to Jesus. He just did it because he's been shown great mercy so he wants to give great mercy. You know, he wants everyone to know this love because he sees the one thing when you're in Egypt and you hear the call to prayer five times a day and you, you see this oppression very clearly in front of you. It reminds you, man, like God is good. Like the gospel is beautiful. It's beautiful. So let's pray together. I want to pray this over our lives from, uh, Philippians, it says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Another version says we are overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. What's greater than conquerors? What's more than conquerors? Jesus, would you show us? God, what does it look like to be more than conquerors in our lives? I think maybe it looks like being sons and daughters of the, of the greatest conqueror the conqueror of hearts. God, you literally did what no one else could do. You did what no one else could do. You conquered hearts. Instead of just beating people into submission, God, you wooed them. You called them with cords of loving kindness, just like you did for each one of us, Lord. 
I ask for a fresh outpouring of intimacy right now. I ask for people who are listening to my voice, God, that when they go home today, Lord, would you impress something into them, God? Impress something into them that is like a seal. Like I can't get rid of this desire to be alone with him. I can't get rid of this desire to know him more and to see other people experience his glory. There is nothing more exciting than seeing the King of Kings, than to see him leave the 99 and find the one. So we have a time of response coming. There's a song left and I just encourage you, if, if this morning you feel still like, I don't have this, like I want more of this. Sometimes I say, I wanna, I'm hungry to be hungry. I believe that when you come up, if you come up for prayer, that if you say, I'm hungry to be hungry, he will give that to you. And that's the first step of a, of a, of a domino effect that will change your life and those around you. So uh, yeah, we just pray, Lord, for these people, God. We ask for your blessing upon them. We ask for your blessing upon Egypt, that you would connect these two seemingly completely different places, Lord, that there would be prayers that come up from this house, this group, for Egypt and the Middle East, Lord, that will have an effect just as long-range artillery has an effect. We thank you for this, these people who are welcoming us so wonderfully, Lord. I bless them in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.